Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Greg Danes, CEO and founder of Total Customer Strategy. In this episode, Greg shares lessons learned consulting hundreds of companies on churn retention and why so many companies focus on asking the wrong questions when getting started. We then discussed why customer satisfaction has no correlation with retention and why you need to focus on customer results instead. We then wrapped up by discussing why it all comes back to alignment if you want to see meaningful results in reducing churn. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. How do you build a habit for product? You need to invest. You saw these, these don't just gun for revenue in the door. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Greg is the CEO and founder of Client Velocity and the newly launched Total Customer Strategy. Greg was previously a founder of four different companies before his last company was acquired. And that is when he realized the importance of customer retention and decided to make it his main focus as a consultant. So my first question for you, Greg, is what drove you to make that move from founder to consultant to begin with? Well, yeah, it's a good question because it's a strange pathway. Although if you think about it, everybody's pathway to customer success in that area has found its way through some interesting set of uh, circumstances. Well, mine was, you know, I was looking back after that last exit, I was looking back at everything I'd done and wondering, you know, if I'd learned enough to know what I was interested in. And surely by then I should have known after that much time, 15 years of, you know, doing that. And, and I realized at least one thing that, that to me makes a lot of sense, which is that the most interesting problems are the hardest problems. And so I was thinking about, you know, what have I done? What's the hardest thing that I've done, right? You know, creating a new product, imagining, you know, a new market segment, raising money, building a product, marketing it, selling. Those things are all really, really hard. But nothing I've done has been harder than consistently making my customers successful. That the variability in that is, has always just been astonishing to me. And, and that fascinates me because in some sense, it, it, it's illogical, right? We give the same product and the same service to all our customers, but they don't get anything like the same results. They're all over the place from nothing to incredible and everything in between. And that variability, I think, is really interesting. It means there's something in there 
that we really don't understand. There's a factor in there that, that's, 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 you know, causing this huge variability and it's obviously not the product or the service. So, so that to me was the most fascinating set of problems. And I also realized that it, it couldn't be disconnected from this, this massive transformational uh, 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 experience that the whole business world has gone through from kind of more transactional businesses to more subscription type businesses or recurring revenue. But those things are tightly connected because obviously one of the, if not the uh, cardinal feature of that new business model is how easy it is to switch, right? How easy it is for you to move from one thing to another. And that meant that whatever was at the center of, of the truth about our relationship with our customers was, gonna, was going to rise to the surface and become the dominant theme. And I think that's exactly what has happened. And a lot of the, uh, I would say, ideas and modes that we have that we inherited from past eras of business have turned out to be surprisingly unhelpful. And so that was my experience. I'd have these challenges, particularly with customers. And I'd go out into the world and I'd, I'd, you know, get the best ideas. What are the smart people saying? And I'd bring it back and it wouldn't work. And this happened over and over and over again. It drove me crazy. Right. And so, uh, you know, over time, I, I slowly clued into the fact that these are actually not representative of the dynamics that 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 are at the core of our new business reality and so we needed to kind of overturn the whole thing and, and start looking at things in a fresh light that's when you know that's when it clicked for me that this is where the interesting kind of stuff is and so i decided you know this is what i want to dedicate the rest of my career to it's a hard enough problem that it surely could take up the rest of someone's career, if not many more after that. So that's sort of that's sort of how I found my way to my interests, and I have a lot of enthusiasm about it, precisely because there's so much here to talk about, and and because in a sense, doing so, solving for it, which I, I mean, you have a podcast on this, you know, you, you know as well as anybody, solving for this is kind of the is kind of the most important thing we have to figure out. We have to figure this out, and and whatever whatever is the solution broadly applies across so many different spaces and industries. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the beginning, like when I started the show, it was really about building an audience so I could sell a product that now I was ready to sell to. And actually like one of the, the motivations for starting for a channel retention podcast was really was like two things. One was a problem that had plagued me in the past. Like, and I wanted to really understand it and find a solution to it. But two is like, if I had asked myself the question, if I asked any CEO, how much would they pay to solve for this problem? They'd probably say everything we have in the bank, because we know it's going to pay back in compounding interest. Like if we manage to solve uh, for churn and retention effectively. So uh, I definitely true. echo the enthusiasm uh, and uh, the energy as well. It's good to see um, yeah. somebody who, uh, as passionate uh, as myself on the topic. So you... You decided then to make the switch uh, and agreed like it is a problem probably will never end uh, in the sense. And you mentioned as well, sort of like going out there, seeing what others were saying was happening that from the old world when wasn't really being applied. I'd even say still today as well, that's a challenge. And we chatted a little bit about this in the beginning where uh, people will mention things like we discovered this magical number, five friends in four days, and we solved for the retention problem that we have. When I think in reality, like this, it's just not the case. And I think best practices is one of those things very, very hard to actually find. And I've even noticed that throughout, like listening uh, to every guest that's joined the show, where it's like, there might be certain things that will work for your business, but probably the vast majority aren't going to work. And it's about just really trying to understand like how to know what's going to work or at least try to be able to experiment and test. So 
you've probably seen this with a lot of different companies, gone in uh, as a consultant, worked with a broad range. Are there any sort of consistent patterns that you've seen that actually do work? And you'd say like one or two things like you must try out and get started with if you're not doing already. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So, so I, I'll start by backing into it because there's so many examples of things that don't work and that we actually have no evidence that they work at all, but we all just assume they do, or we just believe it where it hasn't really been questioned. So here's an example that relates to what you were just talking about. One of the most common things people ask me is, Hey, Greg, what's your opinion? How often should we touch the customer? You know, what's the right cadence? Well, that's a common like theme in customer success, but I actually think it's a completely the wrong question. It, I, I don't think the number of times or the frequency with which you touch the customer is even relevant. In fact, you know, the, this idea that you should touch the customer at some, uh, I, I actually like to refer to as inappropriate touching because it's not, it's not that, it's not that the, you touch the customer that does anything as if somehow that abstraction of us talking to each other made any difference. It's like the waiter who keeps coming to your table, but never fills your glass with water and never does anything, but ask you how you're feeling. It's actually irritating and it's cloying and obsequious and annoying. And what does matter, and so on the other side, it's how often can I add value to my customer? How often can I share something of value or help them with something or solve something? So it does matter. It's just that it's not a cadence issue. It's a value-adding issue. So that's a kind of a classic example of that. The other one, and, and this is where we've done a, a number of different things with research. We have this huge data set from all of our clients, almost certainly the biggest of its kind in the world, hundreds of thousands of data points on very specific data around customers and their you know, churn and their other factors. And what we've been able to do is test tons and tons of factors. What are the common themes, right? And one of the, one of the others that, that has been the most astonishing and interesting to debunk is client satisfaction. Just the idea that, that we all, I mean, all of us, including me, believed forever as a foundation to our whole theory of business is that happy customers stay and unhappy customers leave. That turns out to not be true. And it cannot even be verified in any meaningful way. Statistically, the first company that did this was the CEB. They're the challenger sale people. They did this like eight years ago. And, and what they found was that there's no statistical relationship between customer loyalty and customer satisfaction. Well, we've been able to repeat that over and over again. And we have this Wonderful data set, because actually one of the other nice things that happened is that everybody adopted NPS as their favorite satisfaction scale, or a lot of companies did. And so we've been able to compare across many companies over time, across industries, et cetera. And we find that every way we measure it, whether it's NPS or any other scale, there's no statistical correlation whatsoever between how satisfied customers report being and how long they stay. And that's not to say that it's a weak correlation. It's zero. It's dead zero, which is really fascinating because we've been able to test dozens of different factors, right? Size of the company, what, you know, what kind of company they are, how much they paid, what kind of onboarding they had. We could, literally, we can test almost anything you can think of. And almost everything has some correlation to retention. Now, a lot of them are pretty weak, and we, and we know in many cases it's a spurious correlation. But, you know, if you've done a lot of statistical testing, you know that it's actually not rare to find two completely unrelated factors that still appear to have some correlation. So we use judgment to know that that's not a real correlation. What's fascinating about satisfaction is it never correlates, ever. In fact, we've never tested 
Another factor which consistently has no relationship to customer retention the way customer satisfaction does. And that's, I, to me, this is a big deal, right? Because a lot of what we do, a lot of the best practices, a lot of the, the effort, the time, the resources we put into customer uh, retention, customer success is all around how do we you know, improve our satisfaction, improve that score, and we're watching that score. And the thing is, it, it is a real thing. It's not like customer satisfaction is a fake. We're, we're measuring something that's real. We've just made the false assumption that that thing connects to or drives customer retention. Um, no, it doesn't, in fact. And, and what's fascinating about that is, well, then that means potentially a lot of things that we're doing for customers are a waste of time. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't make our customers satisfied. That, that would be an absurd, false interpretation of what I'm saying. Of course we do. It's just that we shouldn't assume that doing that is what drives long-term retention. We've got to look, you know, we've got to look at other factors. And so, so what are they? Well, the biggest one, the most reliable predictor we've ever tested over and over again across many, many studies of long-term retention is customer results. Customers who get measurable results. Now, that, that doesn't mean we ask them, hey, do you feel like you're getting results? That is a useful uh, uh, test, but the, the gold standard test, the really interesting one is, are they or are we measuring those results? It turns out that's like by far the most predictive. Customer cohort that has measured results has a six times longer lifespan than the customer cohort that doesn't. That's uh, and that and that uh, the strength of that result gets stronger and stronger the more data we add to the data set. So that's something that's really fascinating. If that's true, it makes sense out of why you know you have a happy customer who says what a great experience was and then cancels, or you have an unhappy customer who hates experience, complains, and yet keeps renewing. Um, well, uh, obviously there's some other factor. We think it's uh, for sure it's something to do with the results. That's what's the compelling reason to stay, right? So, and we have good data on that. So, so then the question is, well, if that's what it is, what are all the things we do uh, or could do that both drive and measure results? And that turns out to make sense out of another thing, which is that customer success isn't just what the customer success team does. It's what everybody does from the product to the marketing and sales. All of those elements of the company are lining up around, well, they all have a, they all have a role to play in whether or not customers get, get and perceive results. And if you line them up so that each of those elements is correctly and, and in the same way, defining results and then, you know, driving customers, helping them achieve them, measure them, materialize them back. What you find is that that's the kind of thing that drives extraordinarily high customer retention. It's, it's lining all the pieces up to be aligned to one thing, which is driving and measuring customer results. Yeah, you said a lot of things now. I want to unpack uh, quite a few of them as well. Um, sure. Let's start with the the idea that customer uh, customer satisfaction is not related to general attention for my own clarity just to understand as well the are we talking about a blended customer success uh, versus blended general retention or are we talking about at the individual company or customer level so what i mean by that is like if a company has a high customer success thing do you see a correlation to like a lower general retention or is it like as you said the customer says, I love the product and then they end up churning or I hate the product and they end up sticking around. So is it blended versus under individual basis? 
It's the latter. But I want to talk about the difference between those two, because there is compelling evidence pretty consistently that companies with higher satisfaction have higher retention. That does correlate at the at the aggregate level. And that's one of the things that's been used to justify NPS as being a valid signal or predictor of long term retention. But here's the problem. What we're testing is something that those tests don't look at, which is if I ask a customer how satisfied they are, and then I look to see what their retention is, uh, there's no relationship. So the best example, the cleanest example is when you look at NPS, it's a score from zero to 10, right? And if we group, this is, this is how we run it. We group customers by what score they gave, zero, one, two, three, all the way to 10. And what we say is what's the average lifespan of customers with a zero score or a one score or a nine score and what we find is there's no variation. All the customers who give zero scores, ones, twos, there's no variation. So then how could it be possible if that's true? If there's no relationship between the score and the customer's retention at the customer level, how could it appear at the aggregate level? Well, we think there's a very clear explanation for this. And the explanation is simple. Companies that produce results are the ones, uh, in our experience, particularly measured results, are the ones that have high retention. So the question is, could there be a relationship? Is it possible that companies that are good at producing customer satisfaction are also better at producing results? So what we think, what we think we're measuring, uh, which is the relationship between satisfaction and retention at the company level, what we're really measuring is uh, companies with a with a general bent toward you know both satisfying and driving results from their customers, but it's actually the results that are producing the longer retention. It should surprise no one that companies that have actually uh, that are competent and effectively run enough to engage with their customers, determine what value matters to them, and ensure that those customers achieve that value are also not coincidentally pretty good at making customers satisfied as well. But we don't think it's the satisfaction that drives the retention. Yeah, uh, that, that makes sense as well. And I agree to most of it uh, that you mentioned now as well to some points is that like um, ultimately like people come to your business for to get value out of the product or service that they're purchasing. They have a problem, your, your product or service solves that. If they don't, they're going to churn and think. I think... Where the lines get a little bit blurry is like if you're getting the value from the product or service, you're a satisfied customer. Uh, so ultimately, like you're you're going to think like I agree though overall like the metric of MPS and stuff. There's just too many flaws uh, for it to be a reliable <laughs> thing. And yep. I I buy into the idea as well, and I definitely think it's it is a much much better place for companies to focus. Is like how can we make our customers more successful rather than satisfied because it's more specific to why they come to us. And there's a number of reasons. Like you could give a really good uh, support help one day and then somebody's just overly happy that they've got a personal support service, but they still don't really achieve their goal that they're trying to use your product for. So I definitely see that. This is actually something we've chatted about yeah. on the show a few different times. And I think the, yeah. the example I yeah. keep going back to on the show, which I found really, really interesting is Heidi Gibson was at GoDaddy at the time. And what they were trying to do was trying to increase retention on their website builder. 
And they started with the idea that people came to build the websites and they wanted to get things live. And then they ended up churning and they were trying to figure out like what made the most successful uh, sites. And ultimately people don't want a website. They want to sell uh, products or they want to get bookings or they want to sell tickets. So they started noticing that the companies were, were doing the most selling were the ones or the most bookings were the ones that end up sticking around. So a place to your point is obviously like the, the value yeah. that they're getting. And right. they ended up then going and making that their key metric is like, okay, like we are here to increase bookings or to increase sales and they reverse engineered behavior then from there to, okay, so the companies get the most sales. What do they do in their early life cycle? What is it that's making them successful? And yeah. they found incredible, incredible results really by focusing on this. And then the closer you can get to measuring the actual value that your, your product delivers mm-hmm. to your customer and making that the focus for the company, I think uh, is really, really important. Uh, I couldn't agree more. That's been our experience. The one thing I do want to uh, comment on that you said, which is very interesting, which is, well, I think you said something like, obviously, if they get results, they're going to be satisfied with the product. Actually, we don't, we don't see that. So here's an interesting piece of data on that that's very fascinating. Because I noticed this when I was working with my own customers. Some of the most frustrating angry customers, I thought we were doing the best work for, right? Or they were getting the best outcomes. And I even had a good example of that, you know, where, where I was, um, Apple was actually a customer on Apple computer. So they, I was over there all the time and they were just the worst. They were always unhappy, always frustrated, driving me crazy. And, and, you know, we try to be diplomatic and civil, but I, you know, it even got to me a little bit. And some people with, with customers probably can relate to this, but it was just one of those customers where I'm like, why don't you? So I actually, in a meeting, I kind of lost my cool a little bit. And I said, look, why, if you hate us so much, why don't you just leave? Why don't you cancel? Yeah. And the guy looked at me a little bit funny, like he didn't understand my point. He said, why would we leave when you make us so much money? And, you know, my reaction to that was to feel a little ashamed because why did I think it was about anything else? Why did I imagine? Where did we get this idea that we're in business together so that guy can feel good today or any day? It was always about the money. What, wh- who are we kidding? No, anyway, the point is there's this interesting data. So you may have heard of a company called Sun Microsystems. They were a big like computer mainframe manufacturer, kind of big in the, in the 90s. And they did this interesting study where they looked at their customers and they divided them into two groups, customers who'd had a negative experience or more than one and customers who'd never had a negative experience. And they were trying to figure out you know, what drives the negative experiences versus positive. But one of the things they did almost as an afterthought was to test how long do these groups stay? And what they discovered to their surprise was that the group that had negative experiences stayed a lot longer than the group that had only had positive experiences. And that was a, just an interesting thing. Well, we've been able to replicate that in our data. We have data. Every time we test it, when you do those two groups, the customer with negative experiences, problems, issues, limitations, et cetera, stays longer. In fact, in our data, we have a rather large study on this shows that it's about twice as long on average they stay. Well, that doesn't make sense. If they're getting results and they're staying, shouldn't they, by definition, be the customers with more, uh, with, with fewer negative kind of uh, impressions? Well, here's the one thing that I would say that I think is really interesting and worth thinking about. Um, and I think it applies to that GoDaddy story you just told. Here they are working with their clients to try to get them this result. They got clarity around that result. They even got to the point where they were measuring it, which I, by the way, I think that's brilliant. Fantastic story. That's been our experience completely. Well, which customer is more likely to get results? A customer who comes in, tries really hard, you know, pushes the product to its limits, tries to learn it, does everything, spends a lot of time, or a customer who doesn't try very hard. 
You see, the issue is that, that getting results is what causes you to say, but it happens that having negative experiences is an almost inevitable outcome of trying hard enough to get results. And so what we find is actually, it's not that negative results cause you to stay longer. That's not the insight. The insight is that customers who get results stay longer. And it's those customers who tend to have tried harder and run into problems, uh, you know, limitations, et cetera. So we do think there's a correlation there, but it's not a cause. It's not like negative causes you to stay. But here's the thing, and this is where I, I kind of ended up with my Apple story. It was sort of like, oh, I see. You're getting phenomenal results precisely because you've pushed our product to the limits and figured out what's wrong with it and, and broken it in 10 different ways. And it's inevitable that the outcome of that is that you do have some negative feelings, thoughts, ideas about us. And there's no way around that. Does that make yeah, sense? Absolutely. It also sounds like it's a cultural thing at Apple, but uh, it's... Yeah, it might uh, be. Yeah, <laughs> I know, definitely, it makes a lot of sense. And I've seen like similarly as well, uh, actually, like at my own startup now, one of the things like when we get bad support uh, messages that come in and stuff, like for me, I actually see it as a positive signal. Uh, it's that somebody actually cares enough to complain about your product because... Yes it's a problem when they're not complaining and that's when they're churning is because they don't care enough. They're not invested or motivated enough. So I definitely see that. And I've actually seen this similarly at other companies working with them in their data as well. And uh, validating the point that you're saying now is that totally. like, it means yeah, that people no. care. Like if people are reaching out and they're complaining, like they care, if they don't care about your product, they're just churning and they're leaving anyway. Like, yeah. Right. And they might say that they had a good experience, but what do they know? They never tried very hard right now. Here's the other thing about that NPS data. When you're comparing uh, customers' different satisfaction scores, you're actually ignoring 85% of the data because 85% of your customers didn't respond to the NPS survey. But we have that data, and guess what? It turns out if you don't respond to the survey, you consistently have a much shorter lifespan. So there's no difference based on the customers who provided a score. They hate you or they love you. They all stay the same amount of time. But if you didn't respond to the survey, you stay significantly less than half as long. What does that tell you? It tells you that there is a signal in the data, but it's the one you just said. It's about who's engaged enough, who it matters to, who it's important to. If it's important, whether they love it or hate it, chances are they're going to stay. Hmm. Um, if it's not important, chances are they're going to leave. If. So maybe a better metric than customer satisfaction to measure from the results is actually what is the ratio of respondents to user base uh, to see how engaged users are. Yeah, that's uh, a better signal. Well, it, what you just said is is something a lot of companies are starting to pick up on, which is they used to have negative support tickets as a risk factor in their health score, but now, uh, based on this, they should be seen as a positive factor in your health score. Literally flipped backwards because they yeah. do they have the opposite meaning of the way we used to interpret them. For sure. I think like there are still obviously cases where definitely people end up churning, but it definitely is the latter yes. where like. I care enough about this problem, so I'm coming to you with it, and I'm hoping that you're going to solve it for me uh, to that degree. That's so right. They shouldn't be ignored, but yeah, I definitely see them as like a good positive signal that uh, we're there to make it right. work. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the idea then, like now consultants moving to founder again, starting a new company. Um, what's that about? So, so one of the things that that I stubbed my toe on over and over and over again was, okay, let's say we, let's say we accept this idea that it's really about results. 
what do you do? How do you operationalize that? How's that? What does that change? Right. And over time, it just became more and more clear that it kind of changes everything. So we have all these things we're doing. We've talked about that might have zero leverage or low leverage against customer outcomes. And so then what are the things that have high leverage? Um, so it took me a lot of, of time to kind of unpack all of that and try it in different companies and different sizes and contexts and industries, et cetera. And now we've just done it hundreds of times. And, wh and what we found is there's a consistent set of playbooks that are the high leverage playbooks. Now, as you say, do you solve every customer's problems? Like you called it an edge. The reality is no, of course, some customers are going to stay no matter what you do. And some customers are going to leave no matter what you do. But it turns out that these playbooks make a difference in that bulk middle. And it's such a big difference, in fact, that it means churn no longer is a problem. I mean, the idea of zero churn is not a serious idea. I, I don't think anyone can seriously consider that. Of course, there will always be churn. The question is whether the churn is significant enough that it's impacting your goals, your growth, et cetera. That, that's the problem our clients struggle with. Once you get it down below a low level, you, suddenly other things are problems. Can you sell fast enough? Can you make new product? I mean, there's other problems, right, in business. And so the issue is, you know, what are the core things that are worth doing that can be done that make that bulk of a difference, right? And, and so slowly, uh, I'm a slow learner, so it took breaking my leg on every possible place to, to kind of see what matters and where the limits of that are. And, and so we've, we've essentially distilled the results-driven uh, strategy into a, into a set of playbooks. And they're, and they're simple, they can be learned by anyone, they can be implemented in a company with very little resources, et cetera, or a lot. And they're not really about that. They're really about how you approach and manage a customer. So it's about, you know, do you message to results in marketing? Do you sell results or do you sell features? You know, how do you sell results? Like, what does the playbook look like? How do you onboard to results? How do you use results as the core dynamic in, in the customer relationship going forward? How do you expand to results? How do you think of results when you're designing product or, or improvements in your product or, or expansion? So... All of those things come together and we built a set of playbooks around that. We've been helping our customers with, they radically transform uh, churn. Typically, you know, when you do just a few of these playbooks in sales and say onboarding and, 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 and just essentially, and the funny thing is it's, it's usually means doing less rather than doing more in your business. Cause there's quite a few things we can just stop doing, frankly, that are not worth doing. And I mean, the difference is massive, right? The, I mean, many of our clients come to us because they have very severe churn, but not all of them. Some of them are just tuning it up at a high level. And either way, the bulk of the opportunity to drive down churn is early, meaning during the sale and onboarding, that's where your biggest leverage is. That doesn't mean there aren't other leverage points, but they're exponentially smaller. The big, the big leverage in every customer's relationship is early. And the way you, and what you need to do at that early stage is relatively simple. It's about, we call it the customer results strategy. It's identifying clearly what are the customer's business results that they expect? How will they be measured? What exact set of tools and tech and services and whatever, what solution do they need? We call it the total solution. And then most importantly, what will the customer have to do to achieve those? Because like I said, right at the top, 
this variability, we give the same product, the same service. Why, is, why are the results so variable? The answer is because that there's another factor in this equation and it's the customer and what they do. And so we have to take responsibility for that. And so driving what we call critical key customer behavior change is the last piece. If you can line those things up, what are they trying to do? Has it measured? What do they need to succeed? And what do they need to do to succeed? Just those four simple things is transformative to the relationship. You know, does it solve every churn? No, but it solves like 80%, like huge, like really significant. Because one thing we, we I think, fail to appreciate is customers come because they want to achieve these results. They hope to achieve these results, but the vast majority of our customers don't know how. We do have some customers in every business who totally know how. They arrive with all the right ideas and the right skills and they go to work. And, you know, we usually stand back and go, wow, that's cool. We should, wow, we should watch how they're doing it. But what's that? Three or 4% of the market, the vast majority of the market is willing to change, but they need to be led. And so instead of just thinking of ourselves as a tools provider, hey, here's all the, here's a box full of bits, everything you need to succeed. We need to appreciate that the vast majority of the market needs us to show them how to lead them through that process, to connect it to the result they want, and then say, hey, look, here are the three simple behaviors you need to engage in to get those first results. One other point that I think is really interesting, which is our data shows that getting results is the best predictor. But what's fascinating is the primary driver of churn is getting no results. So we do, I mean, I wondered about this for a long time. What, if, what about customers who get poor results? It turns out as long as you're measuring results, if they get any results, churn has already been reduced by an order of magnitude. Now, does it get better, the better results they get? Yeah, it does, absolutely. But the primary driver of the bulk of churn is customers who never get to the first result. So that's why it's so important to, to sell in the right way and to onboard in the right way. Yeah, that, that seems like an absolute no-brainer uh, in the sense that if people come to you and they're, they're not getting results, like they, are they going to stick around? Uh, and also I see as well, like having a good solid blueprint really, really helps because I, I see even this from like the early days at Hotjar when we first started like trying to tackle the idea of churn and retention was there was very little knowledge, I'd say, throughout the organization of the challenge and of the problem. And ultimately, like what ended up happening was we would talk about we have this churn or retention problem, but there was no real action or nothing really happened as a result. And I think at some points, like I took it upon myself and I was really trying to see, okay, like what can the organization do, everybody, and how can we show that the influence uh, comes back to it? And we ended up putting together just like a slide that we presented at a company meetup, just showing like the influence of churn and retention throughout the organization, how each team plays a role in that and what are the actions and initiatives they could take in order to help reduce this, uh, the challenge we had and really trying to diagnose like what was the problem and ended up being onboarding and activation was the biggest opportunity, like you say. But just having that alignment in the organization and everybody realizing, okay, like, wait, like churn is not just this mythical problem that customer success needs to deal with, whatever it is, actually a product problem. It is a marketing problem. It is a sales problem. Um, having that was like transformational, I think, afterwards, like the, the results that we saw from just having that common alignment and like that little bit of education, I can see definitely uh, something like you're talking about being really, really impactful for a lot of companies just giving them the playbooks and knowing, okay, it's all, I think it all comes back to alignment. Like if everybody understands yeah. the problem, you've diagnosed it and they can clearly see like what they can do to influence it. Uh, there is nothing else uh, thinking it uh, to it, I guess. Yeah. 
Totally. And you know, it's one of the things that I find the most gratifying about what I do is that any company I go to, every group is anxious to solve it. I never, I never run into leaders who are like, nah, I don't want to, it's not my problem. They may not understand what they can do, but if, if you're testing their willingness, it's always high. People always, you know, sales product, they always want to say, yeah, if I knew what to do, I would do it. I just don't know. But the willingness is really there. And once they start to see the picture form around, oh, well, if it's about results, then I see how we can improve that in product. If it's about results, I can see how we should message differently in marketing. We should sell benefits, not features. Yeah, okay, we get that. And what's fun is to watch everybody just grab onto that. So the the problem in organizations, I think this has really been one of the great I don't know what the serendipities of my life to discover this, that actually everybody wants to align. Everybody wants to do it. They just don't have a clear vision as to how, like, what can, what can we do? What's, what's my job in, in, in making this work. And once they see that it's amazing. It's so fun to watch them lock in and just jump in and, and do whatever they can do. It's really fun. Absolutely. And that, that's what I love about this show, just speaking to many different people, different backgrounds, because everyone you speak to, like no matter if in the support, sales, marketing, products, like exec, everybody has a story, everybody has a viewpoint, everybody has something that they've done that's influenced the metric. And uh, it really is great to see. Yeah, We're running up on time. I want to make sure I ask you two questions, ask every guest. First question, hypothetical scenario, you join a new company, churn retention is not doing great. The CEO comes to you and says like, hey, Greg, you're in charge. You need to reduce it. You need to do it fast. You have 90 days. The catch is you're not going to tell me I'm going to go speak to customers, figure out the biggest pain points. I'm going to look at the dates and see what it tells me. You're just going to pick a tactic that you've seen work at a previous company and run with that blindly, hoping that it reduces churn uh, within the 90 days. What would you do? Well, I've sort of given this away already, but... Everybody knows that a customer strategy, meaning what should the customer do? What do they want to achieve and what should they do is great. And I've seen lots of good examples of different formats for that out there. The one problem I've seen over and over again, though, is how much work it is to build one of those. You know, a whole strategy with a write-up about this and they're, they've got to do this. You know, all of those details are not practical. And what I found, it's not practical to do those at scale. You know, if we have 10,000 customers next year, we're not going to write up. So I believe that you have to build a customer strategy. And I just think you need to do it in a quick, reusable way that's nevertheless robust. So the method I would impose is for every customer, define, not written out as a, as a written document, but as bullet points. What's their one first or second, maybe their top two or three primary objectives? How will they measure them? What's, you know, what do they need to achieve that? And then what do they have to do to achieve it? And so the second part of that is not just to find that out from the customer, but to then be clear ourselves on why do our successful customers get better results than our other customers? Like, what is it the thing they do? The simple things, the basic things, and then constantly push those out to customers because we are so often, we so often fail to appreciate that they don't really know how to get results. And that, that even though we do have some customers that do, the vast majority don't. And so it would be codify the customer's objectives and help them change their behavior. Nice. And what's one thing that you know today about trainer retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? 
I wish I'd known that customer behavior is more leverageable than I thought. You know, you can feel a little discouraged because you think, well, wait, Greg, you're telling me it's not about customer satisfaction, that now the whole game is on customer results. That means I have to change their behavior. I mean, what are the chances I can change every customer's behavior? I can't even change my own behavior, right? But the truth is, actually, it's just the opposite. One of the hardest things to consistently leverage is people's emotional experience. Customer behavior, as hard as it is, is not as ethereal as customer feelings. And so actually, the more clear we get, and this is the thing I didn't understand, the most leverageable thing actually is customer behavior. Once we understand what they should be doing, we have clarity and we can help them. And for the most part, customers actually want to be led. They want us to show them how the best do it. They think we've worked with better companies than them, and they assume we're going to share that expertise with them so they can be good too. And so... I just wish I had seen earlier how much more power we have over customer behavior change than I realized. Very nice and uh, very interesting because it was actually one of my thoughts when you said changing customer behavior. It's like it's not a typically a very easy thing uh, to change people's behaviors, but I think ultimately if you're delivering results, like people want to come back for those results. So, uh, that's a good motivator then. Very nice. Uh, Greg, is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with, like anything they should be aware of or how can they keep up to speed with your work? Well, you can follow me on LinkedIn or, or go check out Total Customer Strategy if you want to learn a little bit more about the details of this. We are in the process of trying to share these ideas as broadly as we can. So the other thing that's really fun is to watch how many people are coming to similar conclusions. I mean, one of the things that I'm convinced of is if you find something that's true, almost certainly you're not the only person who's found it, right? Or you invented it. And, and I don't think that's what's happening. I run into people constantly who've figured out so much of this, who've seen that results are at the core, who figured out, in fact, many of the things that, that we teach. And that's so gratifying. So one of the reasons I ask you to follow me is mostly because I want to hear from you. I love hearing from people, how they're doing it, what they've found in their you know, business, what they did that worked. So please, please don't just come follow, come share. I'm anxious to meet people in the, in the space. And I, and I love hearing these stories. Awesome. I uh, will definitely make sure to leave that in the show notes as well. So if you're listening on the go, you can check those out later. Um, thanks so much for joining again, Greg, and I wish you best of luck now with the new venture. My pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.